Luxury, my man, before we start, yeah. a checklist of things Let's we're going to have to discuss in this episode. Tell me the One, checklist. the lo-fi sound. Yes. Skinny jeans and leather jackets. Accurate. New York and sleazy dive bars on the Lower East Side. I was there. <laughs> Women with bangs. One woman in particular? Yes. <laughs> Luxury, tell the people, what's this episode of One Song About? All right, y'all. Well, we're going to throw it all the way back to 2003. 20 years ago. 20 years ago. <laughs> it's a moment in time when indie rock and pop and angular guitars yes. are all starting to merge and intermingle in really interesting ways. Yes. A time when anyone who is anyone, including myself, possibly you, we'll find out, wore their <laughs> jeans a little tighter than normal, maybe even rocked one, two, or even a dozen in my case, thrifted oh, leather man. jackets. I had so many in my collection. That's all I had. They were all way too small for me. And had some sort of statement hairstyle. I will say I had a lot of hair in 2003. I also had hair in 2003 that was important to me to look interesting in, <laughs> in changing ways. I don't know that that's really changed, though, so... I, you know, I, I, I like your hair now. I like your hair now, too. Oh, yeah. Hair's but important. I had a lot more hair back okay. then. But I will say there was one <laughs> hairstyle that ruled them all. It was Karen O's bangs. Karen O's yep. bangs. We all bow down to this day. No no hairstyle has ever improved upon what she did, right? We're going to talk about that. We're yeah. going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Indie Rock. We're going to talk about the AAS and a song that they made that NME rated the best alternative love song of all time. That's right. Today, we're talking about a band that almost everybody adores and loves we're talking about the yeah yeah yes and we're talking about their song and that song is maps bp added more than 70 billion dollars to the u.s economy in 2022 investments like acquiring america's largest biogas producer Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. I'm actor, writer, director, and sometimes DJ Diallo Riddle. And I'm producer, DJ, and songwriter Luxury, a.k.a. the guy who talks about and sometimes whispers interpolation. And this is one song. And this is here one song. This is one song. Okay, let's start here. Like we said at the start of this episode, this is going to be a 2003 time machine. At that time, bands like the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs and guitars in general were everywhere. <laughs> it was, yes. It's funny now because like I always get asked, like, what's the rock band you listen to? And I'm like, man, I do not know. I did this, does Tame Impala still count as a rock band? Right. I feel like Good Tame question. Impala is, in some ways is- Kind of, sort of. Still. 
is the group that grew out of this scene that we're going to be talking about today and continues to this day. But Luxury, first off, we want to talk about 2003. Where were you at the time and what the hell were you watching? I, unfortunately, because of this band and because of everything we're going to talk about today, I was in the wrong place. I was in San Francisco. Oh, you're on the wrong coast. Where I'm from. (sighs) So, like, you know, no disrespect to my hometown. (laughs) You 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 were at the hate. I what was a place called I, the Hate Ashbury. <laughs> yeah, that's, I was I was a hippie thirty years too late, and then some. <laughs> they were like, whatever. "Oh, you missed this," but there's something on the other coast. You're like, "Nah, man, we're bringing it back." <laughs> no. I was making the music that I had uh, fallen in love with um, from my pa- from my youth, kind of like mm-hmm. post punk '80s stuff, and I had just left New York where nothing was happening of of that style oh. of music. Wow. But then minutes after I left, we have <laughs> the explosion of music. <laughs> we're about to talk about today and i i felt like i missed Listen, the boat i feel like i missed way. it too yeah. you're, you're talking to two extremely bitter yeah podcast guys Such today FOMO because about this like i was on the west i was on the east coast for the end of the 90s because i was in college mm-hmm. and like you i broke out to the west coast i went to la you went to san francisco i mean like in researching this episode i learned that nick zinner who is just a, a very important member he's all thing instruments nick zinner apparently he's at, when we were leaving, you know, the East Coast in New yeah. York, I was in Boston, but it's it's all New York when you get above a certain yeah. point. Like they, Nick Zinner's bringing up the Boba Fett experience. The Boba Fett he experience? He had a group called the Boba Fett experience. He, I didn't know. He, <laughs> it was apparently a really well-received group in the, like the earliest days of Williamsburg. Like he said, okay. he broke up the group in 2000. He said like 1999 was like a big year for the Boba Fett experience, but he breaks up the group. I, I want to <laughs> say around 2000. I'm just like, Oh, so the people were there. Yeah, like the, that's the, right. They the were there. The ingredients were there, but the scene hadn't formed we are, yet. We're and, so aligned because I was there. You were there. They were there. Apparently and James Murphy of LCD sound system was there. <laughs> he was, at, well, he was in Cologne CDGBs. in 1968 yes. also, but the, I was there factor to me personally personally to answer the question and why yes. this song has a lot of meaning we'll get into of course mm-hmm. but in in 1999 I was transitioning from failing to start a music career in New York to frankly failing to start it in San Francisco <laughs> but the kind of music I was into and the places I was going we've talked a lot about um, and we're going to today on future episodes this great movie called Meet Me in the Bathroom based yes. on a great, great book documentary if you about want to this moment. learn about this scene and you yes. don't know everything please watch that documentary it's, it's about New York in the year two 2000 through 2004, yeah. roughly, yeah. when, again, this this moment and this place are both relevant because this is where all these bands are kind of coming out of, and there's a long history of New York rock and roll and punk rock and post-punk. So all of that plays into this song, this story, and our individual experiences. I'm in New York wanting to tap into that Andy Warhol through the Ramones, through Blondie, through all of this musical history and energy and failing to find it. But, but, yeah. but, but I, yeah. I, I think, and by the way, if we form a group, we should call ourselves the FOMO FOMOs. FOMO because FOMOs. Because we did Former we FOMO. freaking talk about how much we feel like we missed out <laughs> on. But, but you raise a yeah. great point right off the bat. Like in talking about this scene, you can't help but mention that it is a scene. The yeah, yeah, yes. are part of a scene. It's a place. And there are other groups and we could do episodes about them. I was a, listen, I was a big fan of The Strokes, okay? I got their album a week before it actually came out. I was a big fan of The Strokes. But, like, there are groups like The Strokes. Um, there's some other groups that may come up during this conversation that felt like they were trying maybe a little bit too hard to be a part of the Andy Warhol New York, a little bit too hard trying to be the Velvet Underground. I think one thing you can say about the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah is one of the reasons why their fame is so fun and so endearing yes. um, is because... 
you can try and say that they sound like a band that, but very few people say that the yeah, yeah's weren't original. You know what I mean? Like wholly original they, sound. They, they did Absolutely. Not, they did not have to suffer the slings and arrows of, Oh man, what a bunch of posers. <laughs> We're going to talk about the strokes and LCD yeah, two of, two of our collective fa- favorite songs. I was going to say, in chick, fu- chick, chick. I think in future episodes, there's going to be a strokes episode. I think there's going to be an LCD episode, but I will say this just to kind of put a little bit of defense on them on personally. Yeah. You're absolutely right that they are the some of their parts. They are a mosaic or uh, of, of their influences in a way that I love. But again, future episode, but you're dead right to say that Karen O and the Yaya's were not that in quite the same way. Of course, everyone's a product of their influence. Everyone's a product of like what came before them, but filtered through them. And especially in this song, this is not like your typical punk rock song. When we get into the stems in a little bit, you'll hear what they were doing was pretty unique at the time, especially in rock circles that they're using using loops and they've got like backing tracks essentially that Nick Zinner, the guitar player slash everything instruments guy does. <laughs> That's not only was that unusual, I had personal experience on stage at the time doing that and being kind of taken to task by the, by the gatekeeping sort of indie rock, like, community for lack of a better word there mm-hmm. was an idea that that was Millie Vanilli that was Ashley Simpson oh, wow. that was corny and they were bravely up there with only three people making all that noise Karen O bringing her whirling dervish energy so I love the fact that they took completely to your point I fully agree are completely original some of their parts but original in a completely different way from day, the rest of I those bands I love this sound and I, yeah. I'm so happy that you bring this up because it didn't occur to me you're talking you're talking the yeah 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 you're talking about a band of three people three people made Brian all the that drummer, sound Nick you like you said all the instruments everything and then you've got Karen yeah. who nobody could ever accuse of not being a completely amazing uh, attention grabbing yes. front person. Hell yeah. For a group. You know what I mean? Like yes. and, and you think about some of the other groups, they're not considered part of this scene. Yeah. But think about the white stripes. Two people on stage. Right. There was a lot of lo-fi stuff going right. on right then. That and limiting seemed, the palette in a way. Just yes. what, can, what can we get rid of? What can we do differently? You know, I mean and mix it with things that have been done before about, also. Peak Britney Spears, yeah, peak right. <laughs> Max Martin <laughs> working with, you know, the, you know, the, you've got the Backstreet Boys, like you've got all these like really polished groups, and it's almost like people who were in their twenties, maybe up until like even their thirties, like we were saying, like, no, we want to hear something that's stripped down raw and real. Yeah, and then the AAAs are part of that. And then interestingly, as we'll get into on this episode those things start to converge. And we're going to talk about that as we get into the song and its its impact on the culture, because these worlds that had been so separate and so like intellectually and like, like philosophically separate, if you were an indie rock person, you were not, you hated pop music, but that starts Isn't to change a little bit in this yeah. era. We're going to talk well, about it's that. It's weird. Cause I feel like at some point, because we're just putting stuff in a historical context right now. Like, again, you have to realize who this is. <laughs> I mean, like LimeWire, and Napster right. are like threatening to disrupt these glory days, this gold rush in the music industry where they literally came up with the diamond status to, you know, cause, cause people were going 10 times platinum. They were going 11 times platinum. People, everybody had a CD Never case again, logic after this. Yeah. in their car <laughs> yeah. and everybody's like driving around, like, you know, blasting, you know, this, this very polished pop, even in hip hop, even in hip hop. Puffy is so big at this time right now. And like, we don't know it, but in 2003, 50 Cent's going to come around the corner and usher out, you know, what Puffy had been doing since the Mace era, usher out what Ja Rule and Ashanti were doing at Murder, Inc. Like there's in 2003, there's just this sense. And, and, and let's also put it in the the big, big historical context. 
9-11's happened. Right. Things have gone dark. I mean, like, by today's standards, people would almost be like, oh, man, 2003, that sounds like the good old days. No, it felt dark back then. So you've got 9-11. You've got 2002, which is all just a march to war. You know, there are people marching in the streets saying, please, President Bush, don't bomb, you know, Iraq. Don't fight this war. Don't go to Afghanistan. And then by 2003, you've just got you've got two major wars taking place. And into this weird cultural stew, because I was in New York right after 9-11. I can remember the pall that was on the city. It was just a weird, you know, murky vibe. But even in that environment, you had things happening in hip hop that were going to influence the rest of the decade. And for the purpose of this episode, a really exciting underground scene in New York that literally was covered in the ash from 9-11. It was a very weird time. And yet these artists, these people gave us something amazingly infectious to listen to. They gave us something that, you know, emanated from clubs like CBGB's before they close that emanated from places like Joe's pub. You know, Joe's pub is, is so important to the story because the first time I heard of the rapture, I, I, I want to say they were playing at Joe's pub. So this is, this is that historical context into which everything from chick, chick, chick to the rapture to uh, the yes, they all come up into this place. But the last thing I'll say about historical context is that we're at the beginning of a new decade still. 2003, the 80s are officially 20 years old. When, when a decade is 20 years old, it's inevitable that there's almost always a retro movement and musicians are, are trying to take the cool sort of like underground forgotten pieces right. of that cultural moment and trying and looking to looking back and it's often like this up. 20 year thing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's exciting. It's happens. exciting. Right. And I mean, like, so I feel like a lot of people were like playing around with like new wave and post punk. Right? Well, don't forget, we also have the movement, like this electro clash thing. Yes. And these things are happening Woo! in, in parallel. That episode too, man. We're definitely doing an electro clash <laughs> episode. And we have these things happening in parallel just like they had happened in parallel 20 years earlier yeah. when you've got disco turning into new wave and you've yeah. got hip hop across the street in the Bronx and it's all happening in downtown lower Manhattan. It's a similar kind of convergence of exciting musical styles clashing together in Manhattan slash Brooklyn. Totally. And all these bands are coming together. So electro clash is happening a post-punk revival, I would argue, which is <laughs> yes. what the strokes and LCD and Interpol and, Interpol. and the, yeah, yeah. So it's a very exciting moment. And just to sort of, bring it back to what I was saying about my FOMO for it mm -hmm. is that I was sort of getting the telephone version of that over in San Francisco in 2003, because I was bringing together my own sort of blend of like sync, I guess I'd call it synth pop, what would be electro clash, but 3000 miles away. Cause there wasn't really a scene. And we had our own scene, I should say, to be fair. Like, I was going to ask, what was going on in San Francisco? Yeah, in San Francisco, there was the Arrow Bar. Shout out to the Arrow Bar. Shout out to <laughs> Jeff Poolside, by the way, who's now my friend. But at the oh, time... Oh, the guy who does Poolside? That's Jeff from Poolside. Hey, Jeff. Oh, awesome. Again, shout out to Jeff from Poolside. At the time, he was in this band called the Paradise Boys, and they ran the scene. Like, they had these great nights that they put on DJ nights, and mm -hmm. there was this idea of bands crossing over into dance and punk and dancing and rock. Like all of these things were being experimented with. How do yeah. we put this all together? But how do we make songs out of it? There's the 80s element. So I'm involved in all of that. I'm very peripheral. I am not at the center of the scene. <laughs> like Jeff was, it's nice many years later that we become friends. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Poolside, great band, check them out. Great band. By the way, Luxury, also great band, check them out. <laughs> um, 
So at the time, San Francisco was, there was a scene, but it wasn't this scene. And this was the scene that from afar, I was like, wow, so much is going on here. That seems amazing. And of course, the yeah, yeah, yeah is right at the center of it I all. I think they're right at the center. I think I was actually lucky in the sense that I was in L.A. Look, in, L- in Los Angeles, there was the sense that something was happening in New York. Yeah. And I tried to get out there as frequently as possible just to see it and and be a part of it. It was not a very uh, L.A. It was, it was, it was very... East Side LA. Like, yeah. this is when Silver Lake finally stopped chasing sort of like the Beck model of playing Spaceland and trying to blow up doing that sound. Okay. And Electro Clash was huge. And so, like, Felix the House Cat and Miss Kitty, like, these these sort of groups are taking sort of over our underground scene. And there's definitely a through line. There between... is. They're both, there's a punk rock connection yes. that you make me think about because by the way, Electro Clash is such a, maybe not everyone knows what that is because it was kind of a moment that came and went, but this is it's, like a punk rock version, I would say. And tell me if you agree. Go for it. It's like just taking the very simple drum machines or loops even. And writing songs over them that have sort of punk energy. Sometimes the tempos are faster. Sometimes it's rap. Sometimes it's shouted. And it's it's definitely got an 80s throwback element to it. A lot of Latrim kind of rapping. It did. I, I would actually argue... And, and and thank God for New York's Negro Clash parties. Because they, threw, they drew the line. I think a lot of people, including myself, drew it from punk to Electro Clash. But they drew the line from like... Prince and sort of like oh. the weirder parts of black R&B in the 80s right. to Electro Clash. And there's, so, there's hugely it, a hip hop and freestyle element that absolutely. I left out and you're 100% right. And, and we had so much fun. And then that also brought us all into this New York scene. With that said, yeah. we want to get into some stems. <laughs> okay, so where are we starting today? We got to hear some stems so that we can really understand how special the Yes and particularly Maps is. So I know you have the stems for Maps. What what do you want to play for us? First? Let's start with though. We talked a little bit about Nick Zinner. So yeah. the, the Yeah Yeah Yeahs are three people. It's Karen O. It's Nick Zinner and it's Brian Chase. And Brian to Brian Chase, the drummer. We're both drummers. Shout out to the drummer, <laughs> Brian, the drummer. So the story of the making of this song is that um, Karen and Nick, I believe, lived together in an apartment, kind of roommate situation. And she was walking by Nick's bedroom. Now Nick has so 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 Nick and Karen are roommates. So the story goes that uh, apparently Karen O had a friend who was really into Nick Zinner. And so, he, <laughs> and she knew that he hung out at Mars Bar in Lower East Side. So one day Karen and her friend get, Karen gets dragged by her friend to Mars Bar to ostensibly, you know, see, you know, stalk this guy <laughs> who turns out to be Nick Zinner. And the two of them connect and become like instant musical soulmates. Oh, wow. So Karen and Nick are the, the heart of the songwriting of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is that partnership mm-hmm. between Nick and Karen. Is one more of a lyricist than the other? Or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So by the way, and uh, Karen is also a full songwriter. She mm-hmm. herself I know writes she's got solo albums, solo and albums. Projects. So the, the two of them, it's probably the magic behind the scenes. We'll never fully know like who came up with what lyric when, but yeah. for the most part, Nick is writing using his guitar, but he's also using these early kind of looper pedals Love and it. drum machines. <laughs> and it's a lot of stuff that we were talking about the overlap from, you know, electro clash and post-punk, this sort yeah. of new wave revival of all of this combining. He is absolutely at the, 
forefront of that because he's a guitar player using loop pedals and using drum machines and not being afraid basically to be called inauthentic basically for using machines yeah. which again from firsthand experience I know that was there's still there was, this there was, there was some gatekeeping tension. thing there's tension <laughs> yeah man real rock and roll real authentic you know who the first person I saw use pedals ironically Reggie Watts well I was gonna say Reggie, Reggie Watts, Watts is who to those who don't know is like a stand up comedian but he was like using it to like loop sounds and then eventually he would like build it up into music and it's so funny you said that because I was going to bring him up because they're using the same equipment. They're both yeah, using these the line six delay pedals, <laughs> delay pedals. You've seen the one with the four that's green with four buttons on it. Now, of course, Nick Zinner has about 30 different devices on his various pedal <sighs> boards, but one of them is that same looping device. And the idea behind it is you come up with an idea like a, which we're about to hear, and you can just have that looping and in the background the way. while you play a second thing. Is, is that, Trim, what, I don't know what you call it, trembling. <laughs> is that is that guitar that we hear at the very beginning? Does that run throughout the entire song? It runs throughout the entire song. I mean, obviously there are parts where you can't hear it anymore, but like it's 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 a bed underneath the entire thing. It is a bed. Did underneath. Not know I'll that. play. I'll play you all of the all of the different component parts in in just a moment. Uh, but just to finish the thought that this is Nick, a single individual who. In the band, yeah, 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 is everything that isn't a vocal or the drums is coming from him, his pedal boards, his loops, his live guitar playing. He is essentially, instead of using a laptop, which nowadays people often use a laptop yes. to try to control the live experience, bring things in and out. He's doing all that with or his... Or write scripts that nobody's going to read, but go right. ahead. <laughs> a lot of things you can be can be done with laptop. a laptop. There's so many things with a laptop. It's a magical device. Um, so he's using his guitar tool. pedals and these looping pedals to do all that. So everything you hear in the yeah, yeah, yeahs is coming from Nick's hands or his feet. I um, love it. Yeah. Can we hear it? Well, let's hear some of it. Uh, we're going to start with what you were just alluding to, that guitar jangle that starts the song and does indeed run throughout the entire thing. This just goes through the whole thing. And it's actually, it's not even rhythmically anything. It's just playing as fast as you can. That just happens the whole time. So we're all familiar with that because it's how the song starts. And then there is a, a drum pattern, which from my understanding is actually a loop coming from the drum machine, which Brian Chase, the drummer, plays on top of. Oh, wow. So that's a mix of live drums in there somewhere and uh, a loop of a, a drum machine pattern. And by the way, this is on the Fever to Tell Deluxe Edition. There's an early, there's two early demos, which are really cool to listen to. Oh, fun. So let me just play a snippet from that because then you can hear what it, yeah. what it started life as, that giant drum sound. <laughs> so originally sounds like Metallica. <laughs> that to me just sounds like Karen <laughs> uh, O talks about this drum machine. I think I might have had the same one. She just says that it's a blue drum machine. And of that I think I had the same one. I think it's a Roland. It's this blue drum machine. And um if you it's just so turn loud. if you turn up the distortion uh -huh. really loud, like through a drum pedal, which like I said, Nick has this crazy cool group of pedals that he likes to layer sound on top of. So I believe that's what he's doing. And then Brian Chase, the drummer, plays on top of that. To go back to the guitars. So they had the drum machine looping, and then Brian Chase played over that. Th that is what I think is happening, mm -hmm. just from like listening to the demo and then listening to the stems. It, it sounds a bit like there's a combination of that. Those By the two way, things happening. just her talking in the studio, I kind of got chills a little bit. Yeah, like, she's, she's, <laughs> she she's got the voice made for this. <laughs> Let's just, to be more explicit, here's Brian coming in in the chorus where you can definitely hear that he's playing a new pattern. Mm -hmm. 
And it, it, very, very. Ma- it, this makes me want to be in a band now. I know, right? <laughs> Bands are cool. It, yes, because they're just, never it not sounds cool. Like they're just like you take your time, you create something nice, and then you play it in front of a lot of people, and they go fucking nuts. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, I think as we're listening, I think that that's just Brian recreating what was originally in the writing session, a drum machine beat. And so going back to the guitars, now we've got that going, that jingly jangly thing on top happening the whole time. And then Nick comes in with this. Just stabbing a single note. And he does that until we finally get to the chorus where there's two interesting things happening at the same time I'm going to play you. One of them is Nick switches from playing that single note to playing the closest thing I would say to a bass line in the song. There's no bass in this song. There's no bass line. This is all you get in the chorus <laughs> besides the singing and the, and the drums. He's just playing the root note. I don't think he's playing any chords in this whole song. Just wow. the root note. And one final thing, and, and by the way, after I play this, you'll have heard everything in the song that isn't vocals, <laughs> is there's this jangly thing happening on top in the chorus, which is another loop from that same blue drum machine. Here it comes. I'll play it for you in the mix. Here's the guitar jangle still going. So these three things are happening. So that's Nick controlling, bringing out, essentially acting like three guitar players in one. Now live, they have been playing with a fourth member recently who comes in and plays keys on some songs uh, and bass I, I, on other I read songs. About him. Yeah. What is his name? David pa- Pajo or Pajo. I'm not sure. Okay, how to say. Yeah. got it. From Slint. Um, but essentially, he's created all these parts and he likes to control when they come in and out. And we've just heard the entire musical bed for the song Maps. There's not a lot going on. It really accomplishes a lot with a little. It really does. And it's also, it sounds so simple. Do you sometimes feel like music has gotten too complicated? Because this this feels right to me. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, this feels like, I, like I said earlier, it makes me feel like I wish I had been in a band. Like, it... What do you think? I'm only that? laughing when you ask that because you're asking that of me and I'm the biggest overcomplicator <laughs> ever. And I'm fully aware of that. Like that's the joke behind the scenes on this show. That's the joke to myself as I'm trying to finish a song and a year goes by. And like what I f- end it's up easy, with 12 months to, later right. is not that different from how it had been 12 months prior. I will say it yeah. is easy. I think as an artist to overthink things Yeah, and sometimes you can hold on to things too long. I'm, I always come back to that story of the song heartbeat, by Tana Gardner, yeah. which was oh, produced by Larry Levon. And the record label was like, just give us the song. And every week he would take a new version of the song to the Paradise Garage and play like yeah. the acetate and get a different reaction. And so he would do something different with the. That's why the drum pattern it's in that so song off, but is it's great. so off. Because yeah, you can't even DJ it practically. It being that yeah. off the beat Wonky. that really just drove the crowd nuts. And eventually, as I heard, I think it was Mel Sharon at uh, West End Records or somebody. So they literally had to send somebody to his house and basically steal the song so that it would be put out because if left up to Larry, he would never release it. But was he just trying to fix it? Because it is wonky. Because it is wonky, the kind of a bass line and the drum beat are not quite on. It's, it's a freaking Sync classic together. that it has been so sampled good. by that one and like almost a Marshall Jefferson "Move Your Body." Those are like two of my favorite songs that are just like fucking impossible it makes to very DJ. Little sense. <laughs> it's so hard to DJ because it's like coming in and out of time. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Luxury, I also have to ask you, Enemy, because, you know, we're talking about a love song here. They rated this the best alternative love song ever. Would you agree with that? <laughs> I mean, would you agree with that title in any way? Because I know that we sometimes bump on the term alternative. Yeah. But, you know... It is a it is a very special love song. What other right. love songs would you rank it? Well, up it's funny because like you're right. Part of the question that made me laugh was the word alternative. Yeah. Why is that? Because I've yeah. lived through the era where there was this idea of college rock, which then yeah. became alternative rock, <laughs> and then it became indie rock. So at all some of, point it was just grunge. I mean, like in the nineties, like it was almost like alternative went away and everybody was doing grunge. Anytime there's a genre word, it's yeah. always wrong very quickly. <laughs> like punk rock. What is punk rock? Is it yeah. fast guitars? Is it British white dudes? Is it like, is some forty-two? Is it right? <laughs> so the word alternative makes me makes me giggle a little We're bit. Just trying to get those guys on the show, everybody. We're just trying to get Alien Ant Farm here. <laughs> um, shout out to Alien Ant Farm, and um, but I guess my question is also like, do you have another alternative love song pick? I mean, I, I'll, I'll I'll throw one out there. Love will tear us apart. Define what do you mean by alternative love I mean, song? I mean, I think context. alternative is a, a super generic bad term. Yeah, but I think if you're talking about <laughs> you're just saying something less than mainstream not pop, Guns and Roses, not mainstream pop. Yes, if you're it, okay, not the Killers. Like, what is your go-to? You know, like that's what I'm saying. Like, what does alternative mean when you can lump Metallica with the See, Killers? See, the Killers. You, you say that brand name, and it just reminds me of this era. And oh, I always felt like, why are the Killers? They, I didn't get the Killers. I always felt a little bit like, and to your point. Most people, like, they are a big band. Like, that song, Mr. Brightside, has, like, a billion well, views, because like, some songs streams get... on Spotify. But they come out of a similar scene to the yeah, yeah, yeah. in movies yes. or on TikTok or in cartoons. Like it's crazy to me that my kids don't know a lot of songs that were famous when I was, you know, a child. But somehow they know "Maniac" by Michael Cimbello, <laughs> and I just want to ask them, like, what did this song? She's a maniac. Where did this song get used? That you know it, and you're six. You know, like that stuff is Shout very out to weird Michael to Cimbello me. And hey, his one song. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, where is Simbello, and what are his political views? Because I'm worried. I'm worried. <laughs> <laughs> I'm worried, given his age, he might be way, way out. Might be on the wrong side of the tracks <laughs> these days. Yeah, um, but it is funny that you bring up the Killers because I might say. You know, like we were talking about this being a scene. Yes. And groups like the Rapture and LCD Sound System and Interpol, they definitely had like the copycat bands. I'm not talking about like Block Party, like a lot of these other bands that were also very cool bands in the same scene. I'm not here to diss anybody, but like right. certain bands like Hot Hot Heat, I was like, I feel like I'm being marketed to. The Killers sort of felt like they were in that, they, them, they maybe the killers were more Franz Ferdinand. But see, here's why I want to slow this down a little bit. I've got a lot to say. We both know. have so much about this. One thing I want to talk about in this episode, we're already talking about it, is like where is the line yes. between indie and pop? Because it is blurring and merging in this moment. Yeah. We're gonna get into it in a minute, specifically with this song, how this song has there's a pop radio hit that is oh, made yes. off of the back of this song a yep. little bit. And it is the moment where they're starting to the lines are so blurred that even in this conversation 20 years later, we're like I don't know that the killers were part of that scene in so far as right. I don't think the maps were looking at the killers as peers. Right. First of all, the killers are literally in Las Vegas. So they're not like geographically there. There's also this sort of, there is gatekeeping 
and it is confusing who is and who isn't part of the scene at the time you've got the strokes who are the key members of the scene but in the in the documentary i was alluding to um meet me in the bathroom you get the sense that interpol who i kind of always thought was also part of the scene they kind of come across as seeming like they felt very outside the scene. Yes. They seem to feel like they were missing out. Thing. Yeah. It might have just been a timing thing. Even though I will say that uh, when I first got to New York um, and was really diving into the scene around 2002, uh, their album, Turn On The Bright Lights, to me was absolutely hand in hand with everything from Felix the House Cat to the AAS. So the question is, who decides Who's this? Who's the gatekeeper? Is it to a certain the extent fan the public or the and to a certain extent the groups? I mean, there are definitely yeah. times when groups in a scene will say, "No, not them." Yes, like the Dingable Plants clearly wanted to be part of the Native Tongues crew, and I feel like someone in Dela or maybe it was Q Tibbetra yeah. was like, mm, "Maybe not." I, them. I get that feeling too maybe that they weren't them. really let they in. Were really let and, in. Um, we're going to talk more about the scene, but we're also I love this conversation. Going to finally give you what I know you came to this <laughs> podcast to hear, which are the iconic. The give you chills up and down your spine, isolated Karen O vocals. We will have those right after this break. Don't go away. This is one song. This is Comedy Bang Bang, the podcast, the promo. (laughs) And in 30 seconds, I'm going to tell you why you should check out the show. I, the host, Scott Aukerman, have a lighthearted conversation with famous celebrities like John Hamm, Allison Williams, Phoebe Bridgers, Jason Alexander, Natasha Lyonne, Bob Odenkirk, just to name a few. Things go a little off the rails when different eccentric characters and oddballs drop by to be interviewed as well. Each week is a blend of conversations and character work from your favorite comedians as well as some new hilarious voices comedy bang bang the podcast listen every monday wherever you get your podcasts bp added more than 70 billion dollars to the u.s economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in california and starting up new infrastructure in the gulf of mexico it's and not or See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Welcome back to One Song. Okay, so before we get to these Karen O vocals, which are coming, we want to do a one more song. 
If you haven't heard this segment before, the premise is very simple. Every episode, Luxury and I will bring a song that you have probably never heard before. A deep cut, a hidden gem, something a little obscure. We're talking Namibian drum and bass, <laughs> Siberian jazz hop, an actually good rap rock song. And we'll share it with finding each that. other yeah. and with you. So Luxury, you go first. What you got for me on one more song? <laughs> well, okay, just since we're talking about gatekeeping, I will preface this by saying that I would put this band in the same category as like the meters, where it's like, it's a quote unquote deep cut, but mm-hmm. all the heads know it and they're already rolling their eyes like, oh, that quote unquote deep cut. But most people don't know, a lot of people don't know the band ESG. Oh, and ESG yes. is one of my favorite Woo. quote unquote deep cut bands really that cool. most people that are gatekeepers would know about uh-huh. already. But ESG are relevant to this story because yes. literally this great quote I found from Nick Zinner from Yeah, Yeah, Yeah said, our band would not exist at all probably in any form without ESG. Oh, I love so that. So this song is called Dance by ESG. And oh, good one. So good. It's so like lo-fi. Post-punk dance pop. It's a bunch of sisters and cousins, I think. <laughs> and uh, it's so simple. And that drum fill. As you and I both know, that's the first drum fill you learn, right? So I love this band. I love their energy. This is from that first post-punk movement of the 80s we were describing. And I think clearly as a band, they had a huge influence. The ESG's. Uh, song Moody. Yes. Is huge so good. Sample if you're ever 50, in New York, just times. put in your headphones, walk around, listen to Moody, and I swear you will you will enter the, a time a time loop. All right, so now it's your turn, Diallo. What do you got for me? I struggle with song. this one. Usually on one more song I try and bring in something that is related maybe to the topic or maybe completely unrelated. Here I had to go with another yeah 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 song because I've been listening to this group so much. I was torn between a song called Bang on their first EP. It's before Fever to Tell great song first time i'd ever heard the group um there's obviously gold lion and y control and so many of my favorites but i'm gonna i'm gonna throw out their pen only because from a personal point of view this is this is one of those yeah 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 songs where uh not every casual listener knows the song pin p-i-n um and it's just an amazing song. And when I was starting off as a comedian doing improv nights, uh, I always had to listen to something to get me up and excited to get out there and do my improv. So what I would do is I put in my earphones and I would blast Pin as loud as I could. And Let's so for it. those who wait. don't know it, here is Pin. A deeper cut. <laughs> So that was Love a little that. bit of pin. Is that also on uh, Fever to Tell? Same album as Maps? Absolutely. Debut. That album is just a classic, I think, from start to So if you are listening to the show and you don't really feel like you know the yeah, 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 start with Fever to Tell and spread out from Alzheimer, there. Yeah. You will hear some amazing music. And to our regular listeners, we want to know what you think of this week's picks. Did we nail it or did we not? <laughs> did we give you a deep cut or did we give you a song that maybe you didn't know? If you have a song you want to share with us, Either way, you know where to find us. We're on Twitter. I guess they call it X. Instagram, TikTok. See us up at Whole Foods. We can't afford it, but you might want to talk music with us. (laughs) Any way you can reach out to us, reach out to us and let us know if you have one more song. Okay, let's get back to maps. Luxury, we've been waiting patiently, but now we require it. What do you have to play us from Karen O? Let's listen to the isolated Karen O vocal from the song Maps by Yeah Yeah Yeah's. 
I'm just laughing because like besides being obviously beautiful and like haunting, I want to hear your reaction. I'm always taken by how few lyrics are in this song. <laughs> this is a like 15 word song or something so, like that, 20 words. I have heard this song so many times in my life. Dare I say when it was popular, because it's about 120 BPM, you can mix it in with Around the World by Daft Punk. You can mix it in with, uh, you know, Rapture, House of Jealous Lovers, right. if, if one is moving fast enough. Um, as many times as I heard this song, until we were preparing this week, I never really thought about the lyrics except for the very haunting, they don't love you like right. I love Which you. Which is enough. Which like, is carries you enough. 20 I mean, you know, years of, of in my head, uh, that's plenty. I mean, there are so many times <laughs> when I yeah. think about you know, potentially liking something more than it likes me. And I'm like, <laughs> and the first line that pops in my head is they don't love you. Oh, like I love God. you. Like you know, there's so many different ways to interpret it, but it's always tragic. <laughs> and as a songwriter, like you just absolutely nailed, like that is always my intent going into making my own music is mm -hmm. as much as you're putting time into every instrument and every lyric and every melody, it's like the takeaway just being a single thought mm. that then infects people for the rest of their lives. Yes. Whenever they're in that type of moment, they absolutely. think of your three words as like a bumper sticker or a mantra. It and is, that's this song. It absolutely. is almost unfair when it comes to maps, how many different <laughs> elements they have moving down your spine. You've got that guitar you know, hitting your spine. Mm -hmm. You've got her, 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 just her voice itself yeah. hitting your spine. And then you've got what she's saying hitting your spine like that. All of that stuff comes together and it just washes over you. Well, should we hear that moment now? Yes, that we should. Lyric? Here it is. Maps They don't love you like I love you. I mean, I, I'm broken, clearly. I'm I, damaged goods. I am broken the as well. The fact that that, that lyric am, hits me as I'm hard as it does. But can you play for me the part where, like, she goes up? Like, yeah. I, I want to hear that because that's the part where I'm like, damn it, Karen, what, yeah. what is this witchcraft? That's the first chorus. And in the second chorus, it gets a little bit of a lift, like you're saying. They don't love me like I love you. By the way, they don't love me. Notice that? Did you notice the me? Hold on. I never noticed that I before. Noticed she changed that the either. lyric in the second chorus. And I'm, also she says maps, which is, I always thought this was one of those songs where you don't. Maps. I didn't know. Oh, really? Okay. No, but she says maps really quick there. Play that again. Did you hear it? She says maps. Like she says, she says it really quick. Oh, I missed that then. Hold play, on a second. Play, let's gotta, go back. Let's clearly, we got to get forensic here. Hold yes. on. Put your listening ears on. They I mean, Speechless. how has that been hiding in plain sight for this long? <laughs> I, I just, I, 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 you know, yeah. now I'm like, what the hell was I singing all that time? Well, just, I think maybe I was singing now, you know, like I thought, I, <laughs> clearly not paying any attention, but just transfixed. Yeah. Transfixed. I want to just pause for a second. I want to listen to the original. Like sometimes stems are different. Let's just make sure. And if they are, that's okay. We can talk about it. But I want to hear the full. She's saying me. She says me. I never freaking noticed that she says me. 
in that part. I mean, how do we... <laughs> okay, maybe we're the weird ones. Listen, maybe everyone I knows mean, everybody that. Everybody else is I, like, oh, well, you know, real fans would have noticed that. <laughs> First off, that's you're how, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're totally right. That's, what, that's what all yeah, yeah, fans <laughs> including yeah, 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 fans. Hey, I'm on my laptop. <laughs> I'm changing your life. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, think uh -huh. about this. I, I mean, like, now I just have to absorb this. They don't love me like I love you. is a right. totally different lyric. The meaning is shifting in they real time. They don't love me. Like they love so you. let's talk about the lyrical meaning because we do know from interviews this is an email she sends to her then boyfriend Angus Andrew of the band Liars, mm -hmm. and which is not a band I know very well. Do you know the Liars? I don't know them very well. I just know that they were part of that same moment. Yep. They were another Brooklyn band, yep. and uh, they're on. He's on tour. She's on tour. She's about to leave on tour, I should mm -hmm. say. And famously in the video, she's crying because he's not showing up to the video shoot that day. That's real. <laughs> Those are real tears. Those are, she was really crying. So this is a real. And I believe that because I, that was back when I was so happy. That was back when I got like a. 20 inch monitor for my <laughs> Apple. And that was like the biggest monitor I'd ever seen. That's a and big I, monitor. One of the first things I did was I, I chose that wallpaper with the <laughs> clownfish uh, looking out. Of shout the out seaweed. to that wallpaper. Shout out to that wall. <laughs> shout out to those clownfishes. And um and I bought the I bought <laughs> I went on iTunes yeah. store and I bought Maps the video. Oh, you bought the video because you could just buy so, videos. Yeah, you could buy There's videos. There's no YouTube yet. Just to watch. There's no YouTube. That's the only way to watch a video. You buy the video you on buy iTunes. It's 2003, guys. Oh There's my no God. YouTube. I was like, I really want to see that video. That. Yeah. And so, gosh, people were making money so many different ways back then. No wow. wonder everybody wanted to be a rock star. So you yeah, own. I paid, I paid you still to this day, technically, you own that video. Technically, to oh, this yes, day. it's still on this <laughs> iTunes account. And I was just sitting back, like the future is here. <laughs> That's so funny. I forgot all about that era of having to watch videos by buying them People first. People forget. YouTube came around in 2006 <clears throat> and like really shook stuff up. Right. But like when you read about stuff that happened in 2003 between Ja Rule and 50 Cent or like like we had to go to weird places on the web. <laughs> you had to avoid all kinds of like You had to download the real audio player. <laughs> <laughs> the real video player download. Yeah, man, you were always up. Always Shout out updating. to Mark Cuban. You were always updating Adobe or a QuickTime player. Like shit was hard. Shout out to Mark Cuban, who, by the way, is a follower. Maybe he's appreciating that we're referring to his real video Come on the show, company. Mark. Come on the show, Mark. Come on the show. We'll interview you. Let's get back to to Karen. I I feel like this vocal is so vulnerable. It's yes. so emotional. Well, right. We were talking about the storyline. So she tells the story many times that this is it, that line. They don't love you like I love you is an email she had written to him. Mm. And then as she's writing the song and just to connect back to the story of how the song's yeah. written, she's walking by Nick Zinner's room and their roommates and he's playing that loop, the like high loop in the drums. And mm -hmm. she's like, and they write this song in 15 minutes together. It just comes so quickly. And so frustrating so many that of the you best can songs spend years do, right? working on something yeah. and then you find out, oh yeah, Sylvester Stallone wrote the, the screenplay for Rocky in two weeks, you know, <laughs> or like this, like 15, 15 minutes, minutes. Ghostbusters, out. 15 minutes. Yeah. And he, and they didn't even get sued by Huey Lewis in the news. Nope, they did not. So this is, this is really, shout out to Ray Parker, <laughs> Judy, who is the freaking coolest dude on the planet. If you ever had the chance to meet that guy. He's got stories. He's so much fun. I love him. You know, we've been talking about how I kind of have my catchphrase interpolation. Maybe your catchphrase is that shout out to thing. Cause I've been trying it today and it doesn't feel natural. <laughs> I think that's your thing. I think you're the shout out guy. And I think that's your catchphrase for one song. So when it comes to phrases invented in the 1990s, <laughs> maybe I should you're start bringing whispering it. Back. it. Yeah. You're bringing maybe it back. So. But um, 15 minutes. 
15 minutes to write this amazing song right. that has stayed with us for at least yeah. 20 years and continues to win fans. Yeah, and she pulls this lyric out of her email from uh, the love story with her and Angus. So when I listen to that isolated vocal and when we watch the video, what stays the authenticity of the true meaning of this song being missing somebody and mm. the gap between you and another human who you love yeah. is just the weight of that, the simplicity of that emotion resonates in only 20 ish words and throughout the ages we're two decades later. I still feel that. And when you hear her raw vocal singing it, you hear her, 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 what's the word? Unrequited love. Her, you hear unrequited love. Yes. You, you, you feel the emotion. And I hope that the, the story of the yeah, yeah, yeah gives hope to, the smart kids out there, the yeah. nerds, because Karen O has gone out of her way. Like as crazy as their live show was and their live show was crazy. There's no way for One us the to ever show oh our God. listeners yeah. how crazy that foot, just go on YouTube, look yeah. up. Yeah. He is oh, live they're back. around they're, this period. They're touring again. You can see them. Luckily, yeah, okay, but they're, they're like us. They're like, a little older. <laughs> like in their forties. She's now. got a kid. Like, she's still you know, doing it. She's, she's still not, doing she's it. Like, she she might right. still spit water on herself, but she's not going <laughs> to, you know, she's not going to be ushered off stage in a wheelchair. And we both missed the 2003 version where that was just like, we, we, oh, no, actually, I saw the oh, yeah, saw yes. I saw the yeah, yes play a show because I worked at a record label. I saw what? them play a show around the yeah, time yeah, yes. that that EP I oh, mentioned you're earlier so lucky. Yeah. with songs like uh, uh, Bang and Art Star. Uh, I saw them crazy show. I'm sure it was crazy. I want to say it was at the Troubadour. Um, crazy wow. show. But I bring all that up to say that Karen Oa said, I was such a good kid growing yeah. up. She's yeah, like, yeah. the reason I'm so crazy on stage is because yeah. the stage is where I can get That's crazy. That's where she can let it out. And, 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 and by the way, she went to Tish and Nick Zinner went to Bard. Like, these are like art school kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, to Oberlin too. Sometimes you, we, we do stories on this on this uh, podcast and you get the sense that, man, the reason I haven't blown up is because my, my father loved me. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> my mom wasn't an alcoholic. But like, that's not the case with the yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, they really Demons, are some yeah. people who devoted themselves to the artwork, to the to putting in the ten thousand hours to really become a really good sounding band. Yeah. So there is hope if you don't come from and the most live dysfunctional too. background of all time. Yeah, and the live the live element is so crucial too. Like I had the good fortune of seeing them in two thousand nine, I think, at, at Coachella. One of the best shows I've ever seen to this day. I mean, and I saw the Daft Punk Coachella, but like the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah is live on stage. Karen O is such a hero to me. And the live element, as we go through the stems and we listen to all those parts, I'm reminded of how much the live and the recording really do... A, there sometimes a band is better live than the recording sometimes the recording is better these guys have such an incredible live show that is in a weird it's somehow matched i would say <laughs> by the how they sound on record like you yeah. get that energy you do well, get prince always said prince and our, our good friend jimmy jam they always say you have to sound better than you sound on the record yeah live. Play live that's right yeah The fact is, uh, the Yes, and, and especially this song, just being the huge song it was, Maps, had a huge influence on music going forward. We've already mentioned some of the groups that came in the wake of the Yes, um, but there's a song in particular that might owe a lot of its DNA to right. Maps. <laughs> well, right. So another theme of this episode, besides gatekeeping, and related to gatekeeping, I should say, is this sort of like, still in 2003... The pop charts and the pop world was a completely different world than yeah. indie music, for lack of a better way of putting totally. it. So the Strokes and the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs 
this is the beginning of MTV is starting to play maps yeah. and on the air and uh, on their airwaves, such as it yeah, is. Yeah, yes, perform at the 2003 MTV yep. Awards. But so. that's in between like Limp Biscuit songs and, <laughs> and, you know, The Offspring. So like there is definitely, there's a difference between these two types of music. Pop The, the pop charts do not sound necessarily like it yet, but yep. there's starting to be an influence from the other side. The Strokes and the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs are starting to filter their way into the pop song makers of the time such as Max Martin, you mentioned, Britney yeah. Spears' producer. So one of the first songs that a, a new producer named Dr. Luke, yes. who starts to work with Max Martin, one <clears throat> thing that they do together, which is one of their first, possibly their first song actually written together, and definitely their first hit, is is this song by Kelly Clarkson. This is Since You've Been Gone. Okay, first off, they, she literally says, yeah, yeah. And so I think, I think, <laughs> there's I think a Carrie right should there. sue her. There's a, there's a story about they wrote this song because they had been agreeing, Max and Dr. Luke were talking about maps by the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, and they were agreeing. Is that true? I've heard, I've heard that this song was like, hey, we should make a poppy Strokes record. And to me, I hear the Strokes. Other than the fact that it starts off with that guitar and then the drum comes in, I don't know that I hear... Maps, but maybe I was with you on that too. That whole mm-hmm. time, especially that eighth note jangling, that is such a strokesy thing to do. Yeah. But it wasn't until I was doing some <laughs> research that they there's literally a quote in Billboard where Max oh, wow. Martin describes the origin of Since You've Been Gone. They had been listening to the Yeah Yeah Yeahs and the song Maps, and they thought this song is incredible. But it goes it goes from a six to like an eight, and it never quite has a proper <laughs> chorus. Wait, so they were listening to Maps yeah. like oh they were they, analyzing. They were it. almost there, but they got it all wrong. They kid. thought they thought it just <laughs> That's lacked, my Max Martin impression. They thought that everything about it was great, except it didn't have enough of a chorus, enough of a big chorus. Wow. And so they do this shit. <laughs> <laughs> they don't love you like I love you. <laughs> so hold that thought. There's a particular part of this song which is dead on the money and I'm going to play it for you now. In the after the second chorus there's this bridge section in since you've been gone. I'm going to play that for you and then I'm going to play the same exact moment in Maps the bridge and you'll hear what I'm hearing, I think. Here it comes. Wow. What does that remind you of? Oh, go on and play it, but I absolutely hear it. <laughs> I would have never thought. Yeah. And that is a direct lift from the the, the the one part when we were doing the stems, the one part I saved for this moment is there is one more guitar part, and it sounds like, like this. this. Same part of the song. I cannot I, believe out of all the times I've heard those two <laughs> songs, I have never heard. But that's one of the things that I love about people coming clean on their yeah. influences <laughs> is that once you hear it, you're like, oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> there is no doubt in anyone's mind None. that those things are influenced. Same but bridge, like same part of the song. Like, then get litigious. Because yeah. it's like, well, I mean, like, whatever. I think, you know, it's interesting. No one got litigious. I did a deep dive into the, like, you know, the, 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 the backroom mm-hmm. file cabinets of, of ASCAP to see there's no writing credit given or offered, I should say, maybe yeah. um, on this song. But there is in another interpolation, which I'd like to, to talk about now. Are you about to talk about Beyonce's Lemonade? We're going to talk about Beyonce's Hold Up from the album <laughs> Lemonade. And uh, this one is properly credited. And uh, let's talk about that one. Here it comes, I think. 
They don't love you like I love you. Slow down, they don't love you like I love you. Back up, they don't love you like I love you. Step down. And there's so much going on there. I love that song. I love that interpolation. I love the sample. There's like a sample. There's an Andy Williams sample in the background, which is, I think it's a Burt Bacharach song. There's air horns. Well, here, I mean, <laughs> tell us, on. like, what's interesting yeah. is she's not exactly saying what Karen O right. said, but it's close. The backstory there is we've got Vampire Weekend frontman Ezra Koenig tweeting in 2011, just kind of a thought, like a shower thought that he tweets, like, what if it was hold up instead of wait? <laughs> and so like three years go by and he's, that's just a tweet. And then in 2014 or so, he's in the studio with Diplo. There's that Andy Williams loop of that song, um, Can't Get Used to Losing You. And then that line comes into his head. He's looking for a lyric and a melody and he thinks of his tweet, which is alluding to the maps song and makes that flip that you just alluded to. It's instead of wait, it's hold up and they submit it to Beyonce and it becomes the basis of this song. So wait, Diplo and Ezra find the Andy Williams sample and they use this, you know, lyric from a tweet. Do they get a producer credit on the song? Yeah, yeah. So so Diplo found the sample. Ezra's in the studio and on top of the sample looping in the background for he's he's meant to be there to come up with the lyrics in the top line. So he's inspired by the sample. He comes up with the lyrical content and him and Diplo and actually Beyonce are th- are all credited as producers. <laughs> and then all three of the yeah, yeah, yeahs are among the 15 or so songwriters who are also credited on the song Hold Up by Beyonce. That's incredible. Well, hey, uh, as we come sort of to the close of this episode about maps and the yeah, yeah, yeahs and the, and the indie rock scene, is there anything you want to say about like, <laughs> Because like nowadays, I, I I think it's a lot harder, yeah. you know, just given all the social media, all the different ways people come across music to, to even build one scene that works. What, what do you want to say about this scene in particular? I mean, so what's interesting is we were talking about it. It really got me thinking about like how each band, usually when you get the interview with Interpol or the interview with the IAS or even the Strokes, they all end up saying some variation of maybe not the Strokes, actually, in this case, they all surprise me by mentioning how they feel like outsiders. Like mm. when there, there isn't almost anyone again, except maybe Julian from the strokes <laughs> who seem like they know they're at the center of attention yeah. and they don't feel like they're missing out on anything. It seems like most bands have some sort of sense of this thing was happening. Like even James from LCD, there's this sort of sense of like a phenomenon that most bands, most artists kind of feel outsidery. That's yeah. a lot of what maybe drives the art. And it's always, it's often a surprise to me when I'm hearing an interview with somebody and they seem to me like they're at the center of the culture, yeah. but they turn out to feel like they weren't really in the right place <laughs> at the right like, time why, either. Why like did I, I wasn't. miss out on this? They have FOMO yeah. too, which is weird and, That's right. and crazy. Let me also say until only like in the last year, this is kind of amazing to me, but I think it speaks to how how much harder it was to give visuals of people. I didn't, I knew what James Murphy of LCD Sound System looked like. Yeah. I knew what Julian and Albert Hammond yeah. <laughs> of The Strokes looked like. I didn't necessarily know what the Yeahs looked like. I just knew yeah. that I loved her voice and that it was like that raw sound that it just, it put me in every dive bar in the Lower East Side yeah. that had a group of kids in the corner. And that was okay. You're right. Like, it almost doesn't matter with that. I didn't need this yeah. music to take over the world, even though in some ways it eventually did. Like, as we've said a million times on this show, the Indian electronic sounds of the early aughts eventually took over 
pop. But we didn't need that right now. And it reminded me ultimately of of one of my favorite quotes from Hunter S. Thompson, which was uh, he was talking about the hate to bring it full circle. But he was like, there was madness madness in every direction at any hour. And there was a sense that there was inevitable victory over the forces of old and evil. And my favorite part of the quote is that less than five years later, you could go up a steep hill and with the right kind of eyes, you could see the high watermark, that place where the wave finally broke and rolled back. It wasn't long after Indie Rock sort of went and you know, a kind of a way, and and pop sort of assumed everything that I was like, thank God I was there. At least I was in the right city all the time. But I was kind of there. I was kind of part of the scene. Yeah. I got to see it. I feel like, you know, I, I miss a lot of things before. I'll probably miss some things after. But I was there for that. That's and great. It was freaking special. It's it is a special. It was a special moment. We both were there in different ways, and and I feel a similar way. And I, I think back to that moment and my insider outsider feeling that I had as well, specifically <laughs> in San Francisco, where I wasn't really part of, as I mentioned before, this the Arrow Bar and and you know the Paradise Boys. Shout out and again I to got Jeff. to go to Subtonic, and I got to go yeah. to places in New York. You know, we've already mentioned Joe's Pub, but I got to be a part of some of those places when I was there. And in LA, we had, you know, places on Kawanga, you know, the, the names aren't all that important now, you know, like people will remember Star Shoes, they'll remember uh, Space. but more important than the individual clubs were the places where we stumbled out of far too drunk into the gutter and it was okay because <laughs> we were the proper age to do it. And you know what? You can't get those years back. You just can't. <laughs> you can't get them back. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it wasn't about the clubs. It was about the friends that we made, you know, right. all of us just being outsiders. Well, I'm, it's funny you say that because I'm thinking back because that was the beginning of my making music in San Francisco in this moment. As I've talked about in this episode, I felt like I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> but what's kind of nice to think back on is like, and to, exactly to your point, like it's really nice that all these years later, this scene that I didn't feel like I belonged to or I had any connection to, like it's cool that like I'm friends with Jeff from Poolside. Like that, I've mentioned him a couple of times because he really symbolized to me, yeah. he was the strokes frankly. <laughs> he was a little bit the Julian. This is such a nice, I, I hope, Jeff, I hope you're listening because it's, these are all genuine words of, of, of affection towards you. Uh, but I wasn't in that scene. And all these years later, we now are friends and I've gone to his house and he's a good guy. And like, it sort of erases whatever feeling of being an outsider at the time was to know that that's a pretty universal feeling mm-hmm. to know that so many artists and musicians that seem like they're the gatekeepers are also f- maybe feeling gate kept <laughs> themselves. So I thought that to be- every solar system thinks it could be the center of the universe, <laughs> but it probably isn't exactly. Um, Luxury, help me in this thing. Well, I'm producer, DJ, and songwriter Luxury. That's who I am. Who are you? I'm actor, writer, director, and sometimes DJ Diallo Riddle. And this is One Song. We will see you next time. We sure will. You can follow us on Instagram. I'm at Diallo, D-I-A-L-L-O. And I'm at Luxury, L-U-X-X-U-R-Y. And if you're on TikTok, I'm at Diallo Riddle. And I am at Luxury, X-X, L-U-X-X-U-R-Y, yeah, X-X. This episode was produced by Matthew Nelson with engineering from Marcus Hom. Additional production support from Leslie Guam, Charles Childers, and Alicia Shimada. The show is executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, Mike Stein, Brian Smiley, Eric Eddings, and Eric Weil. And one thing that's true is they don't love themselves like we love them. What? <laughs> <laughs>
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.